Welcome back to the Hemingway List podcast again for another day. It's another day. It's another beautiful time to be alive. Book 9, Chapter 6. I got to see my nieces today and my mum, but mostly my nieces and my mum, but mostly my nieces. And we went to the park and they were so cute and fun and it was cool. Um, so... Good day. Had a good day. Book 9, Chapter 6. I think this is the closest encounter we've had with Napoleon so far. What did you make of him and the way he negotiated? Um, It was interesting the way he just went to 10, you know. He just got so angry so quickly and then kind of got unangry just as quickly. Uh, I think he's smart and I think he's powerful you know like rye bread egg says he seems like a man child he does in some ways but also you can't win an argument with him can you you can't uh reason with him he just overbeared that whole situation is that the word i meant went to say i think you know what i mean it was pretty cool to watch um but he is a big man child a big baby but also a big powerful baby me, Aivia uh, says, I think he seemed charismatic and intelligent, but also rigid and emotional. Very uncompromising. But it was interesting to seeing the Russian diplomats' reaction to him and how Napoleon's force of will overrode Alexander's direct orders. Four Lost Souls in a Bowl says, A tad out of control as well, getting more angry and animated than he had intended, insulting Alexander when he'd wanted to remain respectful, etc. <clears throat> For the souls in the bowl also said this, Sire, what has Russia done to invite war? You've allied with England. No, we haven't. But you will in the future. I'm punishing you in the present for your future actions, which will probably not have been taken without my present actions. <laughs> Pretty good summary. Um... Napoleon, what an interesting and complex character. Everyone said different things about him here. He's charismatic, intelligent, rigid, emotional, uncompromising, you know, angry, animated, out of control, um, man-child, all these things. But also, he was all those things. And also, that was kind of all coordinated in a perfect storm of force uh, that was Napoleon I guess that's what he was he got his way if there's one thing you can say about Napoleon the man got his way chapter 7 goes like this <clears throat> after all that Napoleon had said to him those bursts of anger and the last dryly spoken words I will detain you no longer general you shall receive my letter Belashev felt convinced that Napoleon would not wish to see him and would even avoid another meeting with him, an insulted envoy especially, as he had witnessed his unseemly anger. But to his surprise, Belashev received through Duroc an invitation to dine with the emperor that day. Basirez, Korlancourt and Berthier were present at the dinner. Napoleon met Belashev cheerfully and amiably. He not only showed no sign of constraint or self-reproach on account of his outburst that morning, but on the contrary tried to reassure Belashev. It was evident that he had long been convinced that it was impossible for him to make a mistake, and that in his perception whatever he did was right. 
not because it harmonised with any idea of right and wrong, but because he did it. The Emperor was in very good spirits after his ride through Vilna, where crowds of people had rapturously greeted and followed him from all the windows of the streets through which he rode, rugs, flags and his monogram were displayed and the Polish ladies welcoming him, hing, hip, welcoming him waved their handkerchiefs to him. At dinner, having placed Belashev beside him, Napoleon not only treated him amiably but behaved as if Belashev were one of his own courtiers, one of those who sympathised with his plans and ought to rejoice at his success. In the course of conversation, he mentioned Moscow and questioned Balashev about the Russian capital, not merely as an interested traveller asks about a new city he intends to visit, but as he convinced that Balashev, as a Russian, must be flattered by his curiosity. How many inhabitants are there in Moscow? How many houses? Is it true that Moscow is called Holy Moscow? How many churches are there in Moscow? He answered and received the reply that there were more than 200 churches. He remarked, why such a quantity of churches? The Russians are very devout, replied Belashev, but a large number of monasteries and churches is always a sign of the backwardsness of a people, said Napoleon, turning to Coulancourt for an appreciation of this remark. Belashev respectfully ventured to disagree with the French emperor. Every country has its own character, said he. But nowhere in Europe is there anything like that, said Napoleon. I beg your majesty's pardon, returned Belashev. Besides Russia, there is Spain, where there are also many churches and monasteries. This reply of Belashev's, which hinted at the recent defeats of the French in Spain, was much appreciated when he related it at Alexander's court, but it was not as much appreciated at Napoleon's dinner where it passed unnoticed. The uninterested and perplexed faces of the marshals showed that they were puzzled as to what Balashev's tone suggested. If there is a point, we don't see it, or if it is not, at all, or it is not at all witty. <clears throat> Their expressions seemed to say. So little was his rejoinder appreciated that Napoleon did not notice it at all, and naively asked Balashev, though through what towns to direct. Sorry. Uh asked Belashev through what towns the direct road from there to Moscow passed. Belashev, who was on the alert all through dinner, replied that just as all roads lead to Rome, so all roads lead to Moscow. There were many roads, and among them the road through Poltava, which Charles VII chose. The twelfth, sorry, Charles Twelfth. Belashev involuntarily flushed with pleasure at the aptitude of this reply, but hardly had he uttered the word Poltava, before Kulkane court, Kul court began speaking of the badness of the road from Petersburg to Moscow and of his Petersburg reminiscences. After dinner they went to drink coffee in Napoleon's study, which four days previously had been that of Emperor Alexander. Napoleon sat down, toying with his Sevres coffee cup, and motioned Balashev to a chair beside him. Napoleon was in that well-known after-dinner mood which, more than any reasoned cause, makes a man contented with himself and disposed to consider everyone his friend. It seemed to him that he was surrounded by men who adored him, and he felt convinced that after his dinner, Balashev too was his friend and worshipper. Napoleon turned to him with a pleasant, though slightly ironic smile. They tell me this is the room that Emperor Alexander occupied. Strange, isn't it, General? He said, evidently not doubting that this remark would be agreeable to his hearer, since it went to prove his Napoleon's superiority to Alexander. 
Balashev made no reply and bowed his head in silence. Yes, four days ago in this room, Winter, Grode and Stein were deliberating, continued Napoleon with the same derisive and self-confident smile. What I can't understand, he went on, is that the Emperor Alexander has surrounded himself with my personal enemies. That I do not understand. Has he not thought that I may do the same? And he turned inquiringly to Balashev, and evidently this thought turned him back on to the track of this morning his morning's anger, which was still afresh in him. And let him know that I will do so, said Napoleon, rising and pushing his cup away with his hand. I'll drive all his Württemberg, Baden and Weimar relations out of Germany. Yes, I'll drive them out. Let him prepare an asylum for them in Russia. Balashev bowed his head with an air indicating that he would like to make his bow and leave, and only listened because he could not help hearing what was said to him. Napoleon did not notice this expression. He treated Balashev not as an envoy but from his enemy, but as a man now devoted to him who must rejoice at his former master's humiliation. And why has the Emperor Alexander taken command of the armies? What is the good of that? War is my profession, but his business is to reign and not to command armies. Why has he taken on himself such a responsibility? Again, Napoleon brought out his snuff box, paced several times up and down the room in silence, and then suddenly and unexpectedly went up to Balashev, and with a slight smile, as confidently, quickly and simply as if he were doing something not merely important but pleasing to Balashev, he raised his hand to the 40-year-old Russian general's face and, taking him by the ear, pulled it gently, smiling with his lips only. To have one's ear pulled by the emperor was considered the greatest honour and mark of favour at the French court. Well, adorer and courtier of the Emperor Alexander, why don't you say anything, said he, as if it was ridiculous in his presence to be the adorer and courtier of anyone but himself, Napoleon. Are the horses ready for the general, he added, with a slight inclination of his head to reply to Balashev's bow. Let him have mine. He has a long way to go. The letter, taken by Balashev, was the last Napoleon sent to Alexander. Every detail of the interview was communicated to the Russian monarch, and the war began. And the war began. Whew. That's a pretty severe ending to the chapter. Uh, Napoleon's an interesting guy, isn't he? I like these Napoleon chapters, even though they are very, very military, strategic, or political but um, still, very cool. All right, guys, have your say about the chapter on the subreddit. Thank you very much for listening. I'll see you tomorrow.